Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vikulskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. My guest is Leah Cohen, and she is out with a brand new thriller. This one is called You Should Have Told Me. It is available everywhere. And Leah, I must confess to you, for the first time in since I can remember, I had a nightmare after staying up until about 1 in the morning reading your book. Um, oh, no! I didn't have a whole lot to do, but it was that engaging of a book that it kept me up till that night, and then I even woke up from a nightmare, and it was the most exhilarating experience I've had reading a thriller in a long time. It wasn't a nightmare in a bad way. It was a nightmare in a good way because the creativity that it invoked in my mind, uh, I, I couldn't believe how, how well this book played out. But can you first describe to me the setting for it? Because before I read the book, the only thing I knew about Kingston, New York, was Peter Bogdanovich was born there. So set this up for us where this is set. Yeah, so um, I'm actually very nearby Kingston right now, just about 10 miles away. Um, It is about two hours north of New York City and uh, kind of nestled between the Hudson River and the Catskill Mountains. And I think one of the interesting things about Kingston is that it's a very, very small city, but because it's so close to New York, it has this kind of mix and influx of people up from the city, uh, people who have been local, so it's kind of this, I love to set this here because it's kind of this country meets city kind of Venn diagram that you have, which I think creates naturally just a lot of kind of drama. Well, and the book starts out, you've got Max and Janie, a couple of parents of a, of a little baby, uh, I think it's pronounced Freya, but they, they come yeah. from, okay, they come from Bedside, Brooklyn, they're up in Kingston, what gets the action going? So, Jamie's having a bit of a tough time with early motherhood. Her baby's six weeks old. A lot of people are kind of in the same place right around this time, and she kind of confesses to, to her partner, to Max, for the first time, uh, right at the beginning of the book, just how hard it is for her, and some of the, the even kind of frightening to her thoughts uh, that she's having about how she's not really connecting with her baby, and maybe she doesn't love her baby enough. And Max kind of tries to kindly reassure her, and he says, you know what, you need some sleep. I'm going to take over all the feedings tonight. You go to the guest room, catch up. Hopefully this will all feel better in the morning. Um, Problem is, she wakes at 3 a.m., baby's screaming, and her partner has completely disappeared. And as the night kind of goes on and turns to the next day, he is not coming back. Um, And then he very quickly we find out that, in addition, a woman uh, has been murdered, and it's possible that Max was seen in town um, near this woman right around when that happened. I thought it was interesting throughout the book, and I noticed it because you described Max and Janie. They're, they're an unmarried couple, but they refer to each other as their partners, and that really hasn't seeped into the Midwest too much as far as describing that. A lot of people still say boyfriend and girlfriend, which I think is weird because I wouldn't describe a 30-year-old woman as a girl, so I don't know why I'd call her a girlfriend. <laughs> but is partner, is that the, the term that, that is most used in the eastern side of the country? I think... I think for a lot of people, I mean, I think boyfriend-girlfriend is still used, but I do think for a lot of people when they've gotten past that initial dating and say maybe they're living together, they could even be um, some kind of legal partnership and for, you know, for health insurance or other things. And I think especially once you are having a child, you, it's kind of, it's pushed it maybe to a more serious place than we consider boyfriend or girlfriend, so that's why I chose to use it. But I do think a lot of people I know, um, at least in New York, do use it. 
this book also showed me with Janie a lot of, I think you've described it as the dark side of motherhood. Not only is she worried about where Max is off to, but she's also got breastfeeding to worry about. The, all the concerns that come with a new mother and frankly just motherhood in general. And these are pressures that the father would never have to experience because the mother's right there. It's her milk. But as you did that, was that a... a uh, I wouldn't say a hindrance to your writing, but did you realize that as you made the story flow, you always had to keep going back and realizing Janie had other things she had to worry about other than trying to solve this mystery? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I wouldn't say a hindrance, but I think I think my intention was to try to, to as accurately as I could, chronicle those early days and what they're like. And so to me, it was more of like, uh, kind of like, you know, fine pan into the fire story where she's already in this very intense situation because early motherhood and parenthood is so intense and feels so, it feels almost like a thriller of itself without even before any dead bodies turn up, right? So I think she was already in this super, super um, stressful moment where she felt on edge, where she felt like she was falling apart, and then something external happens and that actually pushes her into, into even more kind of drama and intensity, and so I wanted her to, I wanted to show that that when you're in those stages, you can't just turn it off and, you know, go off and solve a mystery. You are still always your number one um, person for this baby that you're keeping alive and comforted and loved. Something we see a lot, and it's nothing new, but in thrillers, it's generally always an average person who's thrust into an extraordinary situation that they now have to deal with, and as you do that, are there certain skills that you attributed that only Janie could accomplish because of her state in life and having to kind of roll with the punches of motherhood that somebody who probably hadn't been in that state, and I know uh, Liana is a character in there, she's not a mother, but she has her own things going on in her life. Are there certain things that only Janie could accomplish because of the motherhood and her background? Yeah, so I think the biggest one is that I think a lot of people, and maybe if she had not had a child with Max, and maybe if they hadn't been as serious, it would have been easier for her to just say, you know what, this guy disappeared, and he's caught up in a murder investigation, I'm out, you know, like, I do not want any part of this, but I think she has a loyalty to him because she loves him, but also because she really needs him, and she understands that this isn't just a person, this is the father of her child, and so she has a motivation that I don't think anyone else has in the book to really find out, like, did he actually do this? Is this who he actually is? Or is there a chance that, that what it appears may not be? Um, so I think more than anything, she has a vested interest in truly finding out what is going on here and a hesitancy to just jump to conclusions about him and just kind of read the writing on the wall and say, well, this is what happened. I'm chatting with Leah Conan about her brand new thriller, You Should Have Told Me. It is out. It's available everywhere. And Leah's also got some other thriller books that she's in, uh, written and shared with us over the years, and she just keeps writing and writing. Leah, one of the things that came out later in the book, and I know I'm not giving anything away, is there's there's a certain importance to the song Islands in the Stream by Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. And of course, I had to pull that up on Alexa and listen to it. So did that song have some special meaning for you? Uh, you know, so I had a friend, uh, my friend Paul, and we used to go to karaoke together, and we loved to do this song, because we both love Dolly Parton, and it's the perfect duet song, um, 
because you have, you know, two different parts. Uh, so no special meaning besides that, but it was really fun to kind of throw that in, and I promise that Paul never murdered anybody or got caught up in anything untoward. There was also a scene in the book that took place at a concert in a park, and it took me a little bit to figure out what was going on because I'd never heard of it. It's essentially a concert for children that parents bring their children to. Is that a thing out in New York? Because I've never heard of that here in the Midwest. It's, it's a thing in Brooklyn, yeah. I actually, I went to one, um, and it was, it was pretty wild to me because the musicians were, it does not sound necessarily like the, the kiddie music that you would think about. The musicians looks like the, the sort that you would find in any kind of Brooklyn indie band. And, um, but yeah, they make music solely for children and they put on these sorts of shows. Um, and I thought it was a really kind of interesting setup to bring um, different families together, which obviously uh, ends up impacting the plot as well. Also something that, that I experienced reading this book is I'd go back and forth between thinking somebody was a bad person or a good person and uh, throughout this book, and that's what makes thrillers go. But did you go back and forth in your mind with how bad you were going to make somebody or how good you'd make somebody? Because n- nobody's perfect in this book. Yes, I mean, I definitely did. And I think I even went back and forth with um, who would be truly, in the end, responsible for the murder. Um kind of I always do. I think I always have an idea, but then I, I play around with other ideas and I try to kind of think of something that is going to feel really accurate and true to the story, but also is going to keep readers on their toes. But I think part of this journey for Janie and Max and all the characters is recognizing their own imperfections and the ways that they kind of hold themselves back. And maybe they're trying to do the right thing, but it's it would be better if they were more honest with each other, and I think that kind of nods to the title and kind of the themes of the book. Well, another thing that seemed so realistic to me in the book is the dialogue, and I'm sure writers everywhere take pains to write dialogue to make sure it sounds realistic, and there's a scene in the bar that I, I'm thinking in particular where it's some young 20-something girls, and the dialogue to me, it was almost, an, and through no fault of your own, annoying to read because 20-year-olds <laughs> drinking are annoying to listen to, and so what did you do to, to make that ring so true to what a bunch of tipsy 20-year-olds would sound like? Well, perhaps I had a lot of experience in my own 20s um, being in bars with other girlfriends. So I had plenty to pull from. Um, but, I, you know, I think I just, I don't try to, I don't tend to overthink dialogue. I just try to write what sounds natural to me. And I think it, you know, it works, dialogue is always going to work for some people and, and maybe not work as much for others. Um, but it's not something that I really kind of approach in a craft way. I just, I feel like I listen a lot, and I just kind of try to write down what it sounds like people would say. Anytime there's a child involved in a book, especially a thriller, it seems like that adds a certain element of eeriness to it because the reader is always thinking, at least I'm always thinking, oh, God, I hope something didn't happen to this child. And you go back and forth in your mind about that. Does that pain you as a writer to write anything involving a child that that may sound like there's something? Because just the innocence of, of youth, you never want anything bad to happen to them. Yeah, it's definitely something I thought about a lot with this book, and I think we were try we tried to be really careful in the title, in the description, and everything to not lead readers in that direction because I personally don't want to read anything where harm comes to a child, and I'm not going to write it either. Um, so I'm happy to give that spoiler away that nothing happens to the baby. Um, 
I think some books are able to go there, but that's not that's not the kind of thing that I want to be writing. The name Freya, uh, I, I thought it was interesting. It's explained in the book where it came from. How did that come into your radar? Uh, you know, I think I was just trying to think of what two um, kind of, you know, hip 30-somethings in Brooklyn would find as a name, and it just, it felt, I can't remember how I found it, but it felt like it suited them really well, like they want something a little bit different, a little bit unique. Um, and I also think it has, I thought it has a kind of a nice sound to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, it was one of those uh, names that it, sort of stands out. I mean, it's not as, it's not, I mean, we haven't heard of a, of a person being named a lot of things in years and, and now names seem to come back. But the other idea, the whole idea of, of Brooklyn, it's a very artsy community and very near and dear to your heart, but the artsiness that is involved here, the, the Max is a musician, Janie loves music, music permeates the whole book. It seems like music provides a soundtrack, not just to a lot of books, but to a lot of lives. Is that kind of how it's been for you? Yeah, I think my own, you know, when I moved to um, New York City at 22 and then Brooklyn about a year later, and I think at that time, I did spend a lot of time going to kind of these indie shows for like a couple bucks here and there. Um, there was really an explosion right around that time. Um, and I did meet a lot of musicians, and I think the interesting thing about meeting so many and becoming friends with them and all that is that they were all just completely normal people, and even musicians who had had, like, kind of bigger hits, they, a lot of them still had day jobs, you know, they still were kind of struggling, like, it's just kind of that, that's the way of it, so I wanted in the book for it to kind of feel just normal, um, like Max and Liana are in this band that has achieved success, but, you know, he still ends up choosing to leave the band uh, to kind of focus on different things to support his child. So even though they kind of took off in an indie way, they never, you know, were like millionaires or anything. I think that's kind of very really true to how it is for a lot of musicians. I can't say enough good things about this thriller. It will grab you and pull you through. It's called You Should Have Told Me by Leah Conan. It's a fantastic book. It's available now. Pick it up uh, wherever you buy your books. Leah, loved it, and thanks for joining me to talk about it. And thank you so much for having me. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. Islands in the stream, that is what we are.